the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence, the big silence. All right, and welcome back to the Big Silence Podcast. Your host, Karina Dawn here. And once again, my co-host, and uh, executive handyman, Bobby Goldstein, is nowhere to be found. So shout out to Bobby. If you can find him, send him home and tell him to come and hang out with me and do some intros and chat with you. Today's guest is Gwen Dittmar, amazing, beautiful soul. I met her in 2017 when I needed to really deep dive and do more spiritual work. I think that when you're dealing with your mental health and moving through life, it's not just go to therapy one time and you're good. It's a continuous process. And so Gwen is a has a master's in spiritual psychology. And I worked with her for six months in 2017 in a time where uh, I really needed to learn to have my voice. And she has been such an impact on me. And I'm really excited to have her here again, live in Austin. We actually just did um, a breathwork class at my house that she hosted. Uh, it was a beautiful experience with local Austinites. I think that's what, is that what we're called? We're Austinites? Yeah. yeah. A nice little circle, again, for the weekend of World Mental Health Day. So here you go. This is my conversation with Gwen Dittmar. Welcome, Gwen Dittmar, to Hi. the podcast studio. Thanks for having me. Of course, in real life, I already introduced you in the intro, but when was the last time when we saw each other? I think when you were, wasn't it when you were in Redondo? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about that. What was that? I think the that... breath work with Bobby's first breath work experience. Yes. yes. Yeah. Was that the first one? I think it was. It was his first and his last, unless, so Gwen's doing an event tomorrow yes. at my house here with some Austinites and <laughs> trying to convince Bobby to come back because it was such yes. an experience. He must. Yes. He must. He will. He'll be back. But yeah. So 
I, I'll give him a little space over in another room. Yeah. Where he could still hear everything. Yeah. Yes. But maybe he could be on his own and I could go in there and check on him. Well, it's very vulnerable. <laughs> and it is. I definitely want to get into the conversation of breathwork and all everything. But I would love... So I met you in 2017 when I was going through tough times, as we all are, and that's okay. Yes. And I was asking my friend Jeremy... I need to work with someone. You know, I've always been through therapy or worked with different people. But of course, with what you do as a coach and spiritual mm. psychologist, uh, it's different work. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about Gwen growing up. Gwen growing up. It's interesting. I was thinking about that when I was driving here of like, I had a feeling that question would come up. <laughs> I was always very quiet. I was very shy. I was very deep and I think I could see people. Mm -hmm. I think I could really, really see into people. Sometimes I think there was psychic stuff. I think sometimes I could see things that were going to happen. And I would share it with my mom and she would say, okay, just don't tell anybody that. Don't mm -hmm. don't share that outside of the relationship, <laughs> of this circle. So I think in a way... She welcomed it, but it was also not really something I should talk about. And I think I kind of carried that. I carried that there was maybe something wrong with me or I knew things that I shouldn't know. And, you know, certain things came true. Like I knew one of the neighbors was having an affair, mm -hmm. but I was a little kid and I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. And then it came out like six months later or I could know when people were going to die. Mm. And I would share that with my mom. And and I think I felt scared too about some of the information that I knew. And then I think I tried to hide it and like repressed it and pushed it down. And I think that did not help me. When I was like a teen, I started to get quote unquote like sick with things that, you know, they couldn't figure out what was going on with me. And now looking back on it, I think it was like a point when a lot of that was really starting to open for me, but it was, I don't think my parents knew how to hold it. I don't think they knew what to do with it. There was a lot of things going on in my my family growing up that I think were really confusing and overwhelming for me. And I think I also had a lot of anxiety that I didn't really know about as yeah. a kid, a yeah. lot. I know, I realized that today. I'm like, that's why I felt that way as a kid. Like totally. The anxiety, but no one was talking about it. And you're like, what is this feeling? Yeah. And I think I picked a lot of it up from my mom. Mm -hmm. I think she had a lot of like un, unaware anxiety, mm -hmm. you know, that she, her coping mechanisms, I think, were to like distract with like cooking and cleaning and being a homemaker and having everything be perfect. You know, like I laugh that she was a Virgo and she used to iron our sheets at our pillowcases. So everything, you know, it's kind of like probably a little bit of the opposite. Yeah. Right? But it was also not, I think, the healthiest for me growing up. I think a lot of her anxiety too was like very repressed and it kind of came out in ways that, yeah, I, I think I just unknowingly picked up on. Yeah. So now that you're an adult, do you still have that intuition and 
kind of like a clairvoyant. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I it was it was when I went through that master's program that yeah. really allowed me to open to that and mm-hmm. own that. And it was right around the same time that I stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. So I think once I stopped having that distraction and kind of numbing that mm-hmm. part of me out, which I realized like drinking was also a way to not have to pay attention mm-hmm. to that stuff that I was feeling or I was sensing or that I was hearing or like seeing about people. Just kind of made it a little bit easier to like be normal. <laughs> go to the bars, go to the parties, you know, like play sports and just do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice. It's like now I feel like I'm finally able to be me. Yeah. So during that period of your life when you were drinking and going to bars and having a good old time, was that when you were in pharma? It was college. Yeah. Primarily college. And I was thinking about this last night too. When I was young, like when I was a teen, like, yeah, I think I... I had a lot of anxiety and I had a lot of overwhelm and I think I sensed a lot of things and I tried to suppress it with like overworking in school and being mm-hmm. a perfectionist and but I also was really attuned to like another part of me that was healthy like I danced I was a hip hop dancer and oh, that was it. like just this natural way of being in my body and like clearing energy out and like being creative. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, just like connecting with my own sensuality without having to be sexual. Yeah. And then when I went to college, it was just all this pressure to drink. You know, it was that college binge drinking, guys, just being totally disconnected with oneself. Yeah. Like, and then, yes, it phased into like really high-functioning alcoholism once I got into young adulthood and I started working. And then you're working, though. You say that it became like overworking or success became a coping mechanism then. Definitely. So what does that look like? Well, I mean, I think success is like, yeah, it's an easier addiction to have because mm-hmm. it's it's welcomed by our society. You know, it's really enforced by our society. And, but when it's riding on that frequency of I'm not enough or I'm not safe or I'm not worthy, then it becomes toxic that to always be striving for that success. So I think, yeah, like I coped with, I think a lot of the things that I didn't know how to identify by like achieving and climbing the corporate ladder and, doing marathons and doing triathlons. I know that's something that we connected on, right? But that was even, it was healthy in one way, but it wasn't healthy another way because I was still just like kind of running and like pushing over something that was inside, you know, that was just too uncomfortable to sit with, but it was rewarded, right? It was like special. (laughs) I can see like when I was in triathlon too, it was the training and the accomplishment and For me, it was very mental Mm -hmm. and to be able to accomplish that and set out to do something. It also, but then it was also something that was very healing for me, knowing that I can accomplish something. But then now, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like, it's like kind of a double-edged sword. Like I did, I learned so much about my body and like how my mind played such a huge part on what I was capable of doing, Mm -hmm. like and resiliency. I mean, the high that comes from doing, mm-hmm. you know, like super long training sessions yeah. <laughs> for like a whole day. 
And at the same time, it's like it it has benefits and high frequencies, but also has like lower frequencies, I think, to it. Because I was just, I was also, I think, running away from feeling, yeah. truly. Yeah. But so, it was healthier than drinking. Right. I know. I was like, <laughs> skip the Hollywood club, go run a triathlon. Right. <laughs> Gotta replace it with something. Go run 20 miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so success then <laughs> and success now. What are yeah. the differences for you? That's such a great question. I'd be super curious to hear your answer to that too. You get um, to go first. <laughs> I'll go first. Uh, success now looks like, I think, having space and time to be with people that I love and to do things that feel like, you know, the whispers of my soul, mm-hmm. to be healthy, to um, be good to the earth you know, and to connect with the earth. And I think that's what comes up the most. Yeah. To be of service. Yeah. I think to answer my question. (laughs) Yeah. What does success mean to you now? And also what did it mean? I guess I think before what it meant to me was like very matrix, you know, very much like, I had a successful marriage or mm-hmm. I had kids or I was a good mom or I had a career and I made a lot of money and I was able to buy a house and, you know, kind of like the checklist. Yeah, same as Karina in her 20s and hanging out in Hollywood and with all of these wealthy people and, mm. you know, celebrities and this and that. I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, you have to live up to that. And I mean, obviously, I've been that part of success mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. but then I realized even once you I'm like and I have to remind myself and I talk to Bobby all the time I'm like that I am living the dream that 20 year old Karina wanted but I realize that it's not the status the house the the money that brings you true success and joy mm-hmm. it's everything that you mentioned mm. like what just for you Good relationships, friendships, connecting with myself, mm-hmm. um, being spiritual, taking care of myself, being honest with myself, having a voice. We worked on that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did when, yeah, we worked on me having a voice a lot. And I feel like I have a voice now. Yeah. Thanks I mean, you. big silence. Yeah. And yeah, and success now is learning like what is important in life. It's your mental health. It's, your spiritual health and your physical health, but just being healthy all around. Mm-hmm. And that now I'm so grateful that I'm in a space where I can give back. And that's the big silence. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that brings me success and joy. Yeah. And I, I feel like more people are waking up to that yeah. different definition. Yeah. I think a lot of times when people first like start working with me, it may be they're looking for those more matrix types of things and that's I think one of my missions is to like help people like yeah you can have all that and you can want all that and what are you really seeking right in having Mm -hmm. that house or having that car having that career having that purpose yeah and then making sure you can enjoy it exactly like even here I'm like Karina go enjoy it go walk around listen to the birds hug the trees, you know, it's like you have to make sure. Yeah. I think I've learned that like the grind is not good. Mm-hmm. It's not success. It's enjoying life because we're here for this moment. 
So it's a short period of time that we're here. Yeah. So it's really to make the most of it. And I think that's why like, you know, like near death or death or birth or like these like pivotal moments in our life really like have, I mean, they're, they're filled with grief or they're filled with, you know, challenge, but they're also filled with like a remembering of why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing here. You work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. And what do you see most Mm -hmm. in us? them and what they're thriving for or coming to you for? Hmm. I feel like it's shifted over time. Mm -hmm. I think earlier when I started, it was more for that like traditional success. And I think a lot of people now are waking up to Mm -hmm. the other form of success. I think like a lot of people are really like looking to answer those questions of like, who am I? Like, why am I here? What is my purpose? And how yeah. how do I do that thing that I'm here, that I'm, why I'm here? Mm-hmm. You know, so it could be some people continue doing the same job, but like when they learn to shift and do it from a different place inside of themselves, like a place that's like you said, authentic and connected to oneself and connected to your spirit and yeah. like great, the great spirit, whatever, whatever word people want to call it. I think that's, what a lot of people are looking for. And I, I, a lot of people, they come like, I mean, it's probably a little similar to, you know, when we first met of like, I have everything. And like, there, there's, there's still some part of me <laughs> yeah. that has like a question mark. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't even know what the question mark is, right? They might not even know that they're not happy, but they're just like, there's something, there's something that's off. And I don't even know what it is. So sometimes it's really just discovering what that is. Sometimes they know, right? And it's like a returning. Yeah. Um, Who were you, you know, what were you like when you were a little kid? I mean, I've read your book and I know you, (laughs) but I'm curious, like, how would you answer that question now? Do you see some, do you see yourself now? Oh, I'm the same little girl, but with a bigger voice and a bigger yeah. presence and more confidence because yeah. I was super shy, super mm. shy. And I mean, I would never get on a stage and speak or, you know, just talk and not yeah. care about what people were thinking of me. But as a little girl, I ran businesses. I had a lemonade, lemonade stand. If my family wanted to read a book, they had to rent it from my library. And if they were late returning it, they got charged 25 cents. I love it. <laughs> I had so many little businesses and pretend playmates and I would teach in my basement and had a chalkboard and have students and create plans. I love it. That was me. So I see that now. Like I just always wanted, like I was in school making the plan for teaching my my imaginary students when I got home from school. I was just always wanting to do stuff, which is what I do now. Like everyone's like, how do you do so many things? I'm like, because I actually enjoy it. Yes. And, and I don't it, think we were doing I wasn't doing I wasn't full on into human design when we yeah. when we were what are do you know what you are? No. Let's talk about human design. I'm so curious. I don't know much about human <laughs> we'll design. We'll have to look it up after. So explain human design though. It's a blend. I, I was, you know, I'm always a little skeptical. Yeah. I share this a lot. I'm always a little skeptical of new things, mm-hmm. but I, I enter it with like healthy, healthy skepticism. Like doubt is the beginning of wisdom if we can remain open and curious, right? So I was a little 
skeptical of like, is this real? Is there something to this? And the more that I learned about it, the more I realized this was very accurate. It's a f- information that was downloaded um, by this person. His name was um, Ra Uruhu. And he had a mystical experience and non-drug induced and started downloading all this information of these ancient philosophies and how they all overlapped and intertwined. So it combines quantum physics, Mm -hmm. astrology, the Chinese I Ching, the Kabbalah Tree of Life, the chakras, the Hindu chakra system. And it it kind of timestamps like who you are based on the day, the year, the month, the time, the place where you were born and where the planets were all stationed. But not just astrology, it really brings into the the Chinese I Ching. So there's different gates and there's these gates that have meanings to them. And, you know, there it takes into consideration all the planets and like what gates they're in. So like what energy you carry. And then there's, you know, there's a... It looks like chakras, but there's actually nine energy centers on the body. And the reason I like it, I love human design, is because it takes in consideration how humans are evolving over time. Mm-hmm. So it'll change and shift as there's big evolutions. So, you know, instead of having the seven chakras, there's nine because the heart split into two different centers when there was an evolution of humans. And then the solar plexus split into the solar plexus and the spleen when there was another evolution. And we're going to actually come across another one in 2026, 2027. So it's fascinating. And the more that I, you know, you know, I've studied it and gotten certified, but the more that I just like sit with people or I work with companies or I work with, you know, teams, it's just fascinating. You know, it's it's like a team building exercise because yeah. everybody laughs. They're like, oh my gosh, that's totally how I am. And the, the other team member will say, oh my gosh, that's totally how you are. But it gives context. And I think it gives like meaning as to why we are the way, the way mm-hmm. we are and why our energy works the way it works and why some people are more sensitive. Some people get more tired easily. Some people have more energy. Some people can handle mm-hmm. lots of different things. Whereas other people, it might not be their energy, yeah. how their energy is best utilized. We'll have to do that on me. Because then the other thing is, as a little girl and now, I'm defiant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like to get my way, but in an, I'm a nice person, but I like to get, I like to do what I want to do. Yep. And I usually do it, even if someone, including my husband, says is not happy about it. <laughs> is not happy. But even, you know, it's, even in business, I take risk. I think that also comes with my background of just being a young girl, having to, mm-hmm. you know, be raised in the family that I was raised in. But I'm not afraid of risk. I wasn't back then and I'm not now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be curious. Uh, you you seem like you might have like manifesting generator energy, but I'm not 100% sure. Definitely. Let's just go with that. Yeah. So, because manifesting yeah. generators, they were a new evolution of of beings too. Manifesting generators have both generative energy, the mm-hmm. generator, and they also have the manifester. So there's four original types, and reflectors don't have like any definition. Um, they're like one percent of the population, and then manifestors are seven percent, and then projectors about twenty percent, and then there were generators. But then this new evolution, there were manifesting generators. 
that we're born and they combine the manifestor energy and the generator energy. So even though they have manifestor energy and they can initiate and they can inform, they are intended to operate more like a generator, but they have a lot of sacral energy. They have a lot of energy to do what they want to do. What are you? I'm a manifester. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that was really helpful for me mm-hmm. um, because I think I was raised to be a generator, to just kind of like do the nine to five, like be in the matrix, like do the thing you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I discovered I was the manifester and it was like, I was really here to like bring something new and that it was also okay if like the new thing I was bringing people didn't buy into it or it wasn't like wildly popular because that's kind of the energy. It's something new mm-hmm. and people aren't on totally on board with that yet. And so I, I had noticed that through my life. Like there were different experiences that I had where it was like people weren't on board, but I realized it was just because it was kind of not there yet. And so it like, it allowed me to have some peace that if... Yeah. I'm I'm resonating with something and like a lot of people aren't coming on board, like that's okay, right? Because yeah. the the people that it is aligned for will come and then it will kind of like the other people that it's not aligned for will just go somewhere else. Yeah. And to really like, what I like about it too is it helps you decondition how you think you're supposed to be or how our society tells us how we're supposed to be. And then instead really allowing ourselves to be who we are. Yeah. So it kind of feels in alignment with just the other ways that I work with people of like you tuning into you and you being you versus being something you think you're supposed to be or what you were conditioned to be. Yeah. Or that you're confused on what you are. Who am I? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that'd be interesting because you said, you know, I don't, consider myself having a lot of energy because I am pretty tired a lot, but I have Mm -hmm. a lot of drive and things I want to do. And that's what gives me Mm. the energy, I think. I don't know what that means. We can talk about it later or now or whatever. But um, but I just And a lot of times too, these non-sacral types, like the reflector, the manifester, and the projector, they can tend to operate more like a generator or a manifesting generator until they, it's usually around like 30 to 40 and they kind of like hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And it it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And they have to completely shift. So that's why I'm kind of wondering, are you a manifester? Or are you a manifesting generator? We'll have to find out. Yes. I'll be we'll curious. report back on that. <laughs> so I want to ask you, so I've been through tons of therapy, EMDR, mm-hmm. talk therapy, other therapies. And then with you, it was a different experience of, as a coach. So what is the difference between the two? Because even I know, I just... I always like to go through self-improvement. Mm-hmm. But how would you explain to someone looking for a coach versus a therapist? That's a good question. And it is, I think it's an important distinction that I would say the way I was trained is that therapy is looking now and then looking back as to like why you are the way you are or why you're showing up the way you're showing up. And then therapy can also include you know, how to move forward. I mean, hopefully mm-hmm. that is part of it. And then, you know, coaching really is looking at like who you are now mm-hmm. and what you want to create moving forward. And I think the thing that maybe is was a little bit different or is different in the way that I work is that, you know, I do have 
the master's in spiritual psychology, even though I'm not a licensed, you know, therapist, I do feel, and this was something that was, this is like an example of the the manifester is mm-hmm. that way back, like in 2007, you know, when I was coaching with people, I felt like, you know, yes, let's look at moving forward. Let's look at the actions and the beliefs and the the energy, right? And your spiritual connection about moving forward. But sometimes it's not just about like pushing and moving forward. There's something that there's like moments, right? Where like energy or belief or action or pattern gets solidified. And so it's like, we have to look at that in order to be able to move forward. That wasn't very popular at that time. I mean, coaching really wasn't popular in like 2007. Not even in 2017. I was like, when I met you, I was like, I didn't, but yeah. exactly. And that was, but see, that was a perfect example of like, I was doing something, but mm-hmm. people weren't totally buying into it. And so I could have bought into the belief that like, I'm not enough or there's something mm-hmm. wrong with me or I don't have any value or I'm just an imposter. But like knowing, right? Like there was also a knowing inside. And then, you know, there's been this whole wave of like trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Trauma playing a really important part in why sometimes we don't move forward. And I, you know, I was coaching people like through that a lot, even though it wasn't very common at that point. So I think that was like maybe some of the differences with like the coaching that we did. Yeah. Is is there were more there was more somatic, there was more, I think more sitting with like feeling sitting with different aspects of ourselves, sitting with different parts of ourselves, not banishing them or making them wrong. But it's like, that's kind of how we come to wholeness is when we can have everyone at the table. But then we also start to learn like that we're at the head of the table. (laughs) We're the ones like leading the show versus them leading the show. And I think a lot of times that's like what people have gotten caught up in, right? Is there some aspect of them that is a triathlete, right? That's like really great. It's really wonderful. And sometimes if that's leading the whole show of their life, that may not be bringing them the fulfillment that they're deeply desiring or that they've been longing for. And like the one thing I feel is like happening now, this is like one of those like things and I, it's already existing, but it's really looking at not just like the trauma that might stop us from being able to move forward, but like really deepening into this next layer, which I feel like is that little girl, like Mm -hmm. you were talking about yours, that's like really here now with you, is like, you know, that little girl inside of me that could see things and that Mm -hmm. could feel things and know things that weren't of this lifetime. And that I, I feel like sometimes that's a part of why we don't move forward. Yeah. Or why we're blocked or we're stuck or there's something happening, right? Is like something could have happened even before this lifetime. So I just see humans like in this, you know, self-discovery and self, I don't know what, I don't want to say self-improvement because we're enough just as we are. Yeah. But like this like self-discovery yeah. is that it's like we were looking at, you know, coaching, traditional line coaching. And then like we kind of opened as a collective into how the past shapes us, like our own childhood. And then we looked at like trauma. That's like another layer. And then I feel now we're kind of going back even more 
of like either ancestral or before this this incarnation. Yeah. You really, the first time I did uh, inner child work was with mm-hmm. you. And then mm-hmm. um, reparenting. And can you explain like what that is? Because that was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the inner child, it's so fascinating. I just had a client this week where we we had like, she had this huge awareness around the inner child where she realized up until now she's been doing, you know, inner child work, but she's been doing it from the place of like telling the inner child, it's okay. Like everything's going to be okay. So she's like, I didn't realize that I was like soothing and kind of almost like placating versus really sitting with that child Mm -hmm. and saying like, you're angry. This sucks. (laughs) Like, Like you're sad. And you have every right to feel sad. Like, I feel like there's a huge distinction. And that's kind of how I was trained. Not to like say, everything's going to be okay. But really sit with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing I've been learning the most about. Like, you know, just like energy work and breath work. And that that child inside of us kind of needs to be validated. And part of the validation is, again, like the open conversation. That Mm -hmm. is what's healing, even if something doesn't change, right? So we can't change what happened for our inner child, but we can like sit with her or him and just be that loving parent or be that loving presence that we never had. And I would say my kids like really, like I learned all this and I practiced it. But then it was like, once I finally had my own kids and I could see that like when they were angry, you know, about something to me as an adult that wasn't very important, like they want the green cup and they're getting the red cup and they're really (laughs) angry about the Mm -hmm. red cup, right? But like just kind of dropping in and being with their anger, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe we lost the red cup or it was in the dishwasher or something and like you have to have the green cup. But it's like, oh my gosh, telling that little being that came from my body that like it's going to be okay that doesn't that didn't make them feel better it Mm. actually made them more angry Mm. and it was like invalidating their experience and so to say like you really want the red cup you're really angry this really sucks you know (laughs) like that's the one you want and you feel really powerless because you don't have a lot of control about anything in your life as a little kid so when you want the red cup That's like the one thing you have power over. And I think like doing that with our inner own child, Mm -hmm. regardless of the situation, is like what's healing. Not that, because we can't change what happened, but we can change like the energy that's existing inside of ourselves and letting those little parts know that they are loved and they are seen. They're allowed to be angry or sad. Yeah. What was, I mean, what was like, what was one of the like pivotal moments, would you say, for your inner inner child? Well, you obviously know the story with my mom and not having a mother and a child with a mother. Mm-hmm. So treating learning how to treat myself like the little Karina. Yeah. How to talk to myself like that little girl. Yep. You had me write letters. I'm going to get emotional again. But, yeah. you know, you had me write and letters. And I'm like, let it come up. <laughs> let it come and forward. It's healing. Letters. And it's just like, I, 
learned that I can be my, I can reparent myself. I think that's the right term. And Mm -hmm. let myself know what a good little girl I am, how loved I am, how worthy I am. And, you know, we also, I would write letters to my mom that she would never see and stuff like that really helped just to like get it out there. But um, learning, it was really learning how to love yourself. And you don't realize necessarily that you're not giving yourself enough self-love. Yes. It's, you know, it's a tricky thing. And just when you just free write and you're writing all this stuff and about yourself, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is real. This is true. So I think that really helped me. Mm-hmm. And then once I felt worthy and not just felt knew I was worthy, like I know I am, then that helps me have the voice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just, re- and I think it's like a continual, like, discovery, yeah. you know, discover and discard, <laughs> like, yeah. rinse and repeat. Yeah. Like for me, I, you know, we kind of mentioned it a little bit before the podcast, but like when I went, moved through the divorce, I was like, like, what, like, what is happening here? You yeah. know? And it wasn't until I realized that, you know, I did a lot of deep work and I realized that there were even still some things, you know, in my childhood that I hadn't really resolved inside of myself. And there were things that I hadn't really seen. And I, I mean, I just really acknowledge you. And I think anybody who seeks out support, whether it's a therapist or a 12 step or, you know, some other type of nonprofit or healer or coach, because there's like a willingness to be able to look at oneself and have a neutral person looking because like neutral people can see things that we can't see in our own myopic experience. And so, yeah, I've realized like, wow, there were, there were things in my childhood, like with, you know, with my dad and with my mom that, really shaped and I I didn't realize it until I moved through the divorce mm-hmm. of like why I had still chosen um something that like really didn't feel aligned, yeah. you know, in the end. Yeah. And there were beautiful, I think, spiritual reasons also. I mean, my son and tons of healing, I think, for both of us. Yeah. But that was that was big, you know, to like look at that and then learn to be with myself in a in like a whole nother way. Like I had done it in so many ways. And I think that's why it was so <laughs> shocking that, but I, I'm a huge proponent that like sometimes these shocking experiences, or if they're not shocking, they can still be big, yeah. you know, for our transformation that they're really here, like for our blessings and for our our journey. Yeah. And a transformation never stops. And even I I always say like, I'm a a fitness trainer, but I have a trainer who trains, you know, like a coach will have a coach or a therapist has a therapist. And it's, I think it's so good to just acknowledge that and be like, I am always going to be growing Mm -hmm. and moving through. And when I have a day or I realize triggers, it's okay. I'm human. But yes, the Good thing is, always growing and take, having the tools mm-hmm. to yes. continue and live our best lives. If I didn't do any of the work, I'd be—I probably wouldn't be alive, honestly. Yeah, 
I mean, one of my first like ayahuasca experiences back in, I think it was back in 2007 or new 2006. That was also before it was a thing. And a lot of people yeah, were I very... about this. I don't think I knew you did ayahuasca. <laughs> I've never done it. I'm scared. There were a lot of people <laughs> that were like, ah, oh, that's going to be a violation of your sobriety. And like, that's mm-hmm. not okay. I was super nervous because I, you know experienced this thing called Meniere's disease in my body when I was younger. And so I had these bouts of like vertigo and, um, you know, vomiting and hearing loss, tinnitus. And so I was, I had been well for a while and I was super nervous to like take something that was going to alter potentially, yeah, alter yeah. my consciousness or make me sick yeah. because it was pretty, that was like kind of like a little a mini trauma, I think, that I held on from all the times I had been really sick with that Meniere's disease. But I just, you know, luckily I had a sponsor that was really loving and very open-minded. And we went to the master's program together and she's like, you know, pray about it and see what comes forward. And I mean, I was literally still questioning it when I was driving. Yeah. (laughs) And this car, like I was sitting in LA traffic, this car like totally cuts me off and sits down right in front of me. And the license plate something said something, I can't remember exactly, but it had love and God in it. And I remember thinking to myself, because the whole time I was driving, I'm like, please, you haven't given me an answer. What is the answer? Like spirit, source, please give me the answer. (laughs) And it was pretty clear, you know, that like everything was going to be okay and I was going to be okay. That brings me into a question. Okay, so (laughs) ayahuasca, sobriety. I have a lot of Mm. um, people that I know that are sober, but going through ketamine treatment or MDMA mm-hmm. treatment. What's your thoughts on that? I feel like it's different for each person. Yeah. Truly. And I feel like it takes somebody to really know themselves. And you were sharing earlier, like to be honest with yourself mm-hmm. about what is aligned and what might be off limits. Yeah. For me, I was so, I think... <laughs> It was a blessing that I had that perfectionist, right? Like that was like a, that's an aspect that can be really toxic. Mm -hmm. But I think in the realms of being a a young worker and being in corporate and like wanting, you know, having that ego, wanting to climb the corporate ladder, being a perfectionist like really kept me safe from, I think, like doing a lot of drugs and like really getting into trouble Mm -hmm. is because I wanted, you know, they would they would drug test us and there Mm -hmm. were random drug testing. And so I never wanted to like lose my job, you know, I I've because I was so like on the path of climbing the ladder. Yeah. (laughs) So for me, like hard drugs were never a big part of my story. I was like a pure high functioning alcoholic. Yeah. Um I mean, you know, my first marathon I I ran, I drank a bot an entire bottle of vodka the night before. (laughs) And I didn't really train. I was just like, I'm going to go do it, you know? So, yeah, I think it just takes honesty with self because I, you know, I am in a 12-step program and I have many other things that I engage in, like for my sobriety. But there, I have known people, you know, that have, it's been kind of a gateway to doing other things or then taking something that was mixed with like fentanyl or, and, you know, overdosing and dying. And it's really tragic. So, you know, I I have some friends that, you know, have opened themselves to to Aya and have Mm 
worked with it and it's been fine and they you know are grounded and they're so sober otherwise and it really was a huge part of their their healing yeah, yeah. i think everybody's different I agree. I have no judgment if I just, it's becoming such a big way of therapy. And for me, listening to myself, I'm like, well, when I was younger, I would do MDMA and ketamine to like block my all thoughts and senses. And it just, I don't know, it, it scares me. It's kind of like ayahuasca scares me to lose my mind that much. Correct. And lose control. Yes. And I would say, you know, just like having studied with like medicine men and women, it's really, it's it's like not a, an obsession or a desire, but it's really like something that's calling you, you know, that's like speaking with you. So yeah. if it's not speaking with you and it's not like calling you, then I would say, and sometimes it's calling people, but they're but they're still scared, you know? Yeah. It's I, I'm sure you've had those moments where you know there's something that you need to do, yeah. and yet you're so scared to do it. Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's something that you need to do. Yeah. So I would say it's kind of, I feel like it's a little bit more of that. Yeah. And it can be really healing for, for some people yeah. in a way that maybe they haven't been able to tap into. Yeah. And I mean, I personally, I think that's why I like breath work. Mm-hmm. Is because I'm not ingesting something. It's me and my body. I mean, yes, I think it has also to do with like the, you know, person who's holding space, but it really it is you and your body and your breath, your life force. Yeah. I remember I also, first time I did breath work was with you. And you had mentioned like it kind of can be compared to an ayahuasca ceremony mm-hmm. um, and the way that it, Work, or you can explain it better than me because I don't know what I'm talking about. But can you yes, explain you how do. breath work affects the body and the mind yeah. and the healing process? And I would say, I mean, there's some people that they love breath work. There's other people that don't like breath work. And I think there's other people that don't like breath work because it's so, so intense. Yeah. And that may be a reason to say no for future or that may be a reason to like lean in, mm-hmm. you know? Kind of like ayahuasca. But yeah, yeah, I mean, breath work to me, I mean, there's different types, right? So there's like breath work tools that like we could be doing here. And then there's, I think there's some breath work tools that like we wouldn't be able to keep talking, like breath of fire or maybe even the Wim Hof. Like you kind of really have to hold your breath for a while. But then then I feel like there is like more like breath work, like healing, more ceremonial. Um, and I, I do find that to be extremely effective, uh, extremely effective healing modality. I mean, it is a little controversial because a lot of what's happening, it depends on the type of breath, you know, healing that you're doing. But a lot of times, because you're altering the breath so much, you're activating your sympathetic nervous mm-hmm. system. So again, that's why it can be a little controversial and maybe like, you know, trauma therapy circles um, because you don't want to like have something too fast, you know, too intense in like too short of a period of time and not enough time to recover afterwards or integrate, I think, afterwards. But I I feel like people have had those experience with psychedelics too, where it's like too much, too fast, too soon um, and not enough integration. And that I think is like a big key. So... 
when you're entering that sympathetic nervous system, you're if you're doing it intentionally, which hopefully you are, which is like, you know, one of the reasons why I might have people sign a waiver is mm-hmm. just like for them to really sit with like, is this something I want to do? Because that will shift whatever is being held in your body mm-hmm. or whatever has been in that sympathetic state. Like sympathetic a lot of times is fight or flight, right? We're not we're not intentional. It's just like a reaction. Yeah. So when you're intentional, then you're moving more into like response. And then I would say, you know, you're also in a, hopefully in a safe space. You're with somebody that feels safe. Mm-hmm. So I think that can be incredibly healing, even though you're in the sympathetic. And then, um, you know, you being in control. So even though the breathwork facilitator might be saying like, continue breathing, keep going, stay with it, stay with yourself, stay with your breath. Like ultimately, if you want to stop, you can. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you might not move through the place where like the wounding or the trauma or the emotion is being held or the block, but you can stop, which like in a typical sympathetic state, you're not fully able to stop because you're in this very reactive state. Yeah. So, and then having time afterwards, after the active breathing to, to return to the parasympathetic for your body to like say, okay, now I am safe. Now I can rest. I can digest what just happened. And then having place where you can integrate, whether it's one-on-one or in a group or share, I think that's really healing. Like it's, it gives power to our voice yeah. of being witnessed and being seen and being heard, which yeah. I think is like at a core, what humans are all seeking. Yeah. I know the experience with Bobby. So if you haven't done breath work before, like Bobby's experience is so much different than mine. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, I've done a lot of work in therapy and other things. And Bobby at that time, a few years ago, was very new to it. It was his first time experiencing that and realizing the trauma in his body that was coming out and mm-hmm. literally screaming. And then, of course, you were there to hold him mm-hmm. and let him know that he was okay. And it left him, you know, for hours afterwards, like, what just happened? Yes. Yeah. And that's a common that's a common experience of like, what just happened? Yeah. But I think it is. It's so revealing mm-hmm. when our body has these intense responses to just moving our breath it i don't to me it's like it's just so magical and it's so yep. mystical that the body is so divine and it like is really trying to help us and it really stores things that are just yeah. like too painful and that there's also a desire for it to come out and to be cleared and released so it doesn't you know kind of coagulate and become even more yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I want to go back and probably our last question here, but you mentioned trauma move, um, blocking you from moving forward. Mm-hmm. If someone's listening and like, how do I recognize that? Like what I didn't even know, is that trauma blocking me from living my dreams in this life? Mm. How do I recognize it? And what are That's the first steps? That's a good question. Uh, I would say, I would say if, the thing that you're wanting to create in your life, I think this is kind of more from a coaching perspective, right? Looking forward. So if the thing that you want to create in your life 
isn't necessarily happening Mm -hmm. and you've been working with it, right? Or like maybe somebody has been reading books or they've been following different people on Instagram and they've been like self-studying, you know, self-learning, discovering and discarding, but they're still kind of bumping up against something that they don't really know what it is. I would say it, it probably has something to do with that. Yeah. Right. Because like that was like the most common thing that I experienced. And then like what I started to really recognize with my clients was that like I'm doing all the visioning, I'm doing all the vision boards, I'm doing the manifestation, I'm changing my thought patterns, I'm taking different actions. Mm-hmm. Right. But if there's something that just keeps coming up, to me, there's something more there that sometimes the the tools that we're given might not actually be touching, mm-hmm. but it's still looking for us to look at it. What do you think? I agree. And I know anything for myself on if I'm not doing something that I've wanted to do or accomplish, I'm my own worst enemy, mm-hmm. but I can recognize it. And yeah. It's the trauma. I mean, you know, my mom passed a little over a year ago now, and then it was like new trauma. So then, even though it's been a year, I'm still like blocking. Something's blocking me with certain things. Mm-hmm. So, but I can recognize that, and I know all my tools. I know when I'm self sabotaging or not meditating or not, you know, yeah, <laughs> working out. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I noticed that I mentioned like the, the you know, the divorce. Like yeah. I. I've recognized like there's some part of me that just something's not clicking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's something more to discover, you know, yeah. like and looking at like why did I co-create that? Yeah. Why did I co-create that experience? And like what is some part of me seeking that maybe I'm not fully seeing myself? Because I think we just get these blinders, you know, yeah. and I think that's why it's so helpful to have somebody in our lives that can who's not our partner, who's not our friend who's like a neutral person yeah, that can really say, I'm not involved with you at all. Like, so they don't have any skin in the game. Yeah. And they're just like, hey, listen, this is what I'm seeing. (laughs) Is there something more there? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, Gwen, any last words you want to share with anyone? I just, I think it's like, listen, you know, listen to those whispers inside. Mm -hmm. those callings because I think there's something there yeah thank you Gwen yeah thank you and you can find out more about Gwen and where to find her in the show notes thank you thanks thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday if you or anyone you know needs help now text Hero to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, 
the big silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence.